Today I wanted to dig deeper into the idea or belief that our thoughts create our feelings. So the idea here is that we can choose our thoughts, we can manage our thoughts, and when we do that, we actually manage our feelings versus having them randomly happen to us and affect us in ways that we cannot control and become a victim to whatever's going on in our emotions or our feelings. Now, when I first heard this idea a few years ago, I first heard about it, I think Brooke Castillo, she has a podcast called The Life Coach School. I don't think this idea is original with her, but she explained it in a way that I that that started to make sense to me. The first few times I heard it, I discarded it. I thought, well, it can't be that simple. But I have been sitting with this idea for at least a couple of years, maybe longer. And it's really starting to sink in in a way that's making more and more sense. If you hear me saying, you know, our thoughts create our feelings, and you think that's kind of ridiculous, I would encourage you to just kind of hold it loosely. Just see if you see any way that this could make sense or if this could inform a different way of looking at it. Tangentially, I recently came across a book called In Touch, How to Tune Into the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself by John J. Prendergast. He's a PhD therapist from the Bay Area, and I learned about him in the first episode of the Coaches Rising podcast, which if you're a coach is a fantastic podcast. I just discovered it a month or two ago and I'm amazed at the guests and the depth and the new ways my mind continues to be open to new things. So I happened to go to Printergrass's website and looked at events and saw that he was coming to Portland, Oregon. So I signed up for uh, an evening discussion that he led. It was last week and it was really it was it was just a totally new experience that I hadn't had before. He didn't have any notes. He just sat and talked and was just like the most calm, articulate, thoughtful person. Uh, his wife was there too. And he shared some things. And anyway, that's not the point of what I wanted to share today. What I wanted to share was from his book, which I haven't read. I'm about a third of the way through the book. So far, I would say I recommend it. And I'm reading it from the perspective of wanting to continue to tune in at deeper and deeper levels to my own body and increase the ways that it can impact the intuition and insights I have in my client work. This is something I have been practicing for a while, and I'm seeing it just continue to expand, and it's just something I wanted to go deeper on. Anyway, I was reading it the other day, and he had a section on our thoughts and our thinking, and even though the point of his book doesn't seem to you know, focus on this whole idea of thoughts creating feelings, I thought this was a very, very articulate way of explaining our thinking. This is in a section where, so there's like these little 10, 15-minute experiments 
or, or exercises throughout the book. And this was, um, so he encourages you to just kind of sit quietly and just scan your body and to notice where your attention is seated. And a lot of times people's attention is seated in their heads. And so he's talking about how sometimes when he does a lot of thinking or studying or if he's kind of anxiously ruminating or whatever, that he starts to feel sensation in his head. Quote, thinking in itself is not the problem. We often need to think. The clearer, the better. The problem arises when we believe our thoughts and identify with our thinking. We let our thoughts define and confine us, and by extension, everyone and everything else. When we believe our judgmental thoughts, we are in prison. When we confuse thinking with reality, we suffer. We then radiate our suffering out to others. While some thoughts are more accurate than others, none are ultimately true. They are symbolic representations of our experience. When we begin to realize that awareness is distinct from thought, attention becomes more spacious and free. As we learn to see our thoughts as thoughts instead of reality, attention naturally drops from the forehead into the heart area. This is usually a slow, gradual process of reorientation, although there can be many initial forays of attention into the heart along the way. It can take us a while to find our way and create a new path. Whenever attention shifts from the head to the heart, the heart becomes increasingly familiar and less foreign. In time, we sense it as our new home. The heart area is, above all, the center of deep feeling and sensitivity. When the heart area is illuminated, we have a vibrant sense of the wholeness of life. What thought divides, the heart unites. Our argument with reality ends when our attention is deeply seated in the heart. It's not that we become passively resigned. Instead, we first accept things as they are and then become available to respond creatively. On occasion, the response may be quite fierce and forceful, but it will not carry the residues of personal insult, shame, or self-righteous anger. When our attention rests in the heart, we feel our way to the solution with much greater grace and ease. I find in my coaching, my best coaching, is when I'm actually listening from my heart. And it's not that I have the answers for the person that I'm talking to, it's that the more intuitive, um, almost sometimes questions and thoughts that I don't even know where they came from, they kind of emanate from that area. Whereas if I'm thinking from my head, it's usually more of my ego, which is, oh, this must be profound. Oh, I must help this person. I must have the answer here because they're counting on me because I am the coach. Whereas when I'm in my heart, I'm much more just present to the person and in the moment. And that's when the connection comes. That's when the, the intuitive, uh, intuitive magic or whatever you want to call uh, comes about. But that's kind of not exactly where I was wanting to go. But I guess I thought that was just a very good distillation of our thoughts and our thinking. Now, some people may take issue with his suggestion here that while some thoughts are more accurate than others, none are ultimately true. I don't really know what to do with that. I hold on to things like this kind of loosely. So I'm just kind of going for the overall sense of what he's presenting here. 
I should also say I am a huge student of this area of thoughts. Where I really want to go with this is the power of the negative stories we tell ourselves. And these negative stories are always wrapped up in thoughts, many of which are not true. Or we perceive them to be true, or we've glommed onto them being as 100% true. And maybe they are, or maybe they're not. But what I'm kind what I'm coming to see is the better question is not is it true or not, but is it really helping me? Is it really serving me? Is it helping me to think and act productively? Or is it just taking me into a black hole of hopelessness and negativity and stuckness and procrastination and suffering, essentially? Now, I got to say, I am very much a student of this area. I can get locked onto some negative thoughts and how hard it's going to be and why things won't change, um, as well as the next person. But this is something that I've actively been working on, and it's something that is easily spotted and usually busted through working with a coach. So the pattern I see here is... We look at a situation in our lives and we just decide that it's reality. So running my business is really, really hard or uh, finding new clients is always difficult or finding clients is really difficult. And that becomes the story that I tell myself over and over again, oh, it's just really, really hard to find new clients. So yeah, and you talk to, this is where talking to other people and glomming onto their stories can just take you into a black hole because you get together with other business owners or other coaches and oh yeah, it's so hard to find clients. Yeah, finding clients, it's the hardest thing, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing. And then this story kind of becomes a mantra And then as we marinate in this thought of how hard and how complicated it is and, oh, it just never ends, uh, it becomes a feeling. It becomes something that we, we feel into and that we just live. And then when it comes time to reaching out to a new potential client or the thought of, you know, I really need to increase revenue here, that would come through some clients, then all the feelings that are attached to that just slow us down or completely stop us. So dread, you know, like I said, stuckness, hopelessness, procrastination, because it's like, oh, I don't even know where to start. I don't want to start because this is so hard. This is so complicated. And I'll just keep reminding myself that it's so complicated and so hard. And then I don't start. We also do this with stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Oh, I'm an introvert. Yeah, I, I can't spend too much time with people or I, it's too draining or yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a really good student. I was never really good in school or I'm not a really quick learner or I'm not very athletic or I'm not very good with technology or I'm horrible with new situations And I see this in a lot of my client work because it's easier to see in other people than ourselves. I know I have these things. But what happens is we start to wear these things like a blanket 
and they become our identity and they become the reality of who we are and it becomes a part of our story and it becomes this mantra. And then it leads to feelings that don't really serve us. So here's a question I have about this. Are your starting assumptions, is the story, is the mantra that you're telling yourself, is it positive? Is it life-giving? Is it serving you? Now, that's kind of a coaching term. Is it serving you? But what I mean by is it serving you is, is it helping you, is reflecting on this thought or this story or this mantra, is it taking you, is it helping point you in the direction that you really want to go? If you have a goal of running a marathon, if you tell yourself all the time that you're not really an athlete or you're not very athletic or you're just not very good at running, is that really going to help you run a marathon? Like there's no value that that really provides. Notice I didn't ask with these assumptions, is it true? I don't think that <laughs> it might be true. It might not be true. It really doesn't matter. Okay. Maybe it matters sometimes, and maybe that's where wisdom comes in here. So if, if it's true that, you know, the Myers-Briggs says that you're an introvert and you are planning to, I don't know, take a new job at a company that requires you to be an extrovert to succeed, that might be a bad idea. However, I know there are situations, I've done it myself, or I exclude myself from things and I take myself out of certain situations because, well, that's going to be too draining because I'm an introvert, because I've wrapped myself in this blanket and I'm looking at everything through the filter of, this is who I am, and it's not changeable. Like, it's this fixed thing. I'm not athletic. I'm not a smart person. I don't learn quickly. Maybe this is getting, maybe the more I repeat this, the more depressing you're getting and you're kind of feeling the weight of it. And this is what I sometimes experience with clients. And it, it starts to pop out as like, okay, so again, the question I'll often ask is like, how is this helping you? How is this serving you? So again, I think the simplest way to cut through this is just to ask yourself, is this belief, this mantra, this story I'm telling myself, is it pointing me towards the outcome that I really want? And if it's not, an easy way I say easy with air quotes because it's, you know, maybe not as easy. It sounds easy, but maybe it's a little harder to implement is to flip it around. So I was talking to someone recently about something and they were telling me how hard it was, how complicated. It was just hard. It was complicated. It was hard. It was complicated. And I just interrupted and stopped them. And I said, what would you do if it was easy? And they stopped and they thought and they're like, well... Hmm. If this was easy, I would uh, just do it this way. Or sometimes I've seen this question like, you know, so maybe someone's stuck on a big problem or something. It's like, what's the simplest way to solve this problem? I know this is a really complicated situation, whatever. What is the simplest way you could solve it right now? And sometimes the answer is, well, just throw the whole thing away. And then as they're saying those words out loud, they're like, oh, that is what I need to do. I'm making this too hard. So go for the opposite of the negative story that you're hung up on. 
sometimes this is more subtle. So maybe if your story is, I'm a slow learner or I learn new things slowly, maybe you change the story to say, I can learn new things. Notice it takes out the judgment too. Judgment, self-judgment, like negative judgment, is often a component of this as well. Also breaking the problem down. So what could be easy? So if you do have a massive, hard situation that you need to solve or that you want to change, asking what could be easy might mean like, what's the easiest next step you could take? And often that's the path to success, taking this big, massive problem and doing the next easiest thing next, the next easiest thing next. And before long, you have momentum. Something I've been playing with with some clients and I've even done it myself is a word or two to anchor this, this new way of looking at things. So again, if you're stuck in a mindset of how hard everything is, embracing a mindset or an approach of easy. I like the black Sharpie and like, I've done it myself. Where I just wrote easy on my wrist or uh, easy in big letters on my forearm so that I just kind of look at it all day long. Also play with this in, in, in meditation, uh, just repeating the word ease. Yeah, about a year ago when I started my little meditation habit, I was really wanting to live with more ease. Things felt hard. They felt complicated, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was amazing how just repeating this word ease and writing it on my wrist and writing it in different places reframed how I was thinking of things and how I was showing up. It changed just, I don't know, it just kind of changed the approach and the thoughts that I would approach situations with. So play with this. So I hope you'll consider this idea that our thoughts create our feelings, and then you'll take it a level deeper and consider whether the thoughts that you're dwelling on are helping you, and if you might want to change those to something else that would serve you better. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates.